Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. I'm Max Brown, and my guest today is Mike Myatt. Mike is a leadership advisor to Fortune 500 CEOs and their board of directors. Um, He's widely regarded as America's top CEO coach, and he's recognized by Thinkers 50 as a global authority on leadership. He's also the best-selling author of Hacking Leadership and Leadership Matters. Uh, And he's also a Forbes leadership columnist and a founder and chairman at N2 Growth. And Mike, I am grateful to say we've been connected for, I don't even remember now how many years, but it's been a long time. And I'm grateful that you could join me on the show today. Oh, my pleasure, Max. My pleasure. It's, um, you know, you coach a lot of folks. You've done a lot of things. You you recruit a lot of leaders into corporations. And it's interesting. Do you find that there are common themes among industry leaders that you find um, helpful for folks? Like if, if people are looking for a particular kind of leader, when you get a sense of what that person can do or what they do, what stands out for you? You know, I, it's a great question. And I think... Um, you know, it's nuanced um, from situation to situation, but generally speaking, um, the best folks out there put the emphasis on others. They're all about the people, right? Uh, um, It's not about them. It's not about shining bright lights upon themselves. Mm -hmm. It's about shining light upon others. And I think, you know, especially in today's world, um, you know, leaders that, uh, aren't accountable to their people will eventually be held accountable by their people. Right. Yeah. It, it, and, it, and we, and we actually think that, you know, and that there's, I mean, several examples of that, but it is interesting that sometimes I think there are leaders out there that kind of run counter to what you're talking about and seem to succeed. Why is that? Well, look, I, I think, um, I think anybody mm-hmm. can su- succeed for a season, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but to really endure and to stand the test of time, I, I don't think that they can um, put themselves ahead of those they lead. I, I think you know it's a house of cards that will eventually fall. Um, it's not if, it's when. Mm-hmm. So when you see folks out there that think leadership is a game of dodgeball, it's like they, you know, coat themselves with Teflon every day before they come to work. I mean, it, it, they can be slick. Um, they can bob and weave pretty well, mm-hmm. but eventually somebody's going to land a punch and that's going to be a knockout blow. And I think, you know, lead, leadership is ownership. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're willing to just kind of, um, stand on principle, um, stand on character, stand on doing the right thing for the right reasons at the right time, uh, and always putting those you lead before yourself. You know, those are the stories that history treats well. Yeah, I know. I appreciate that. And I appreciate, I appreciate the way you describe it. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. And so, of course, we can see examples that might not be exactly what we're talking about, but whether they can sustain themselves and continue to be successful is another question. Yep, yep, absolutely. So what surprises you most right now? I mean, there is so much leadership uh, in terms of books, in terms of, you know, IP and intellectual uh, theories and thoughts and concepts. I mean, so many concepts out here in the world. What surprises you the most when it comes to what people are still missing, even though there's lots of information about it? You know, I... I, I would uh, just point to um, the fact that people, I, I think, 
put way too much emphasis on what they think is going to happen mm -hmm. and they're not always prepared for what's going to happen right mm -hmm. and, and i think um a great example of that is everybody that was doing planning in november and december of last year um well those plans went out the window pretty quickly right yeah. and so I, I think one of the things that is often talked about but isn't always put into really um good practice is agility and resiliency, mm -hmm. right? Being able to adapt. And I think, um, you know, there's the old Mike Tyson quote, everybody has a plan until I hit them in the face. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, you know, you if, if you, if you can't um, develop options and, and understand how to make pivots and understand how to reinvent and reimagine at scale, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it's, it's a pretty boring world, I think. <laughs> Wow. And, and for me, it's interesting to think about that. Like you said, we, we, a lot of leaders will have good planning and planning is thoughtful, but when new information comes in, the ability to pivot based on that new information is also required. Yeah, a a absolutely. I mean, I think, um, a, a lot of people work so hard mm -hmm. at getting to the answer. Um, you know, but, but good answers are kind of cheap. I, I mean, it's not hard to come up with a good answer. Um, getting to the right answer is more difficult. And that, that I, I guess, makes you focus on asking the right questions, you know, and developing the right scenarios so that you can eventually bubble up a bunch of options, which will then lead you to the right answer. But get, getting to an answer quickly mm -hmm. is usually not a really good thing. Yeah. What do you say to leaders who are feeling a tough time trying to build trust in their teams, um, struggling to be able to create, you know, a collaboration like that, where people can come in with different opinions, but they end up, instead of hurting each other, helping each other and creating constructive outcomes? Yeah, you know, I, I think in today's world, that that's even become more of a challenge for folks, because maybe right now, um, they're not sitting down the hallway from somebody and they're not seeing them five times a day mm -hmm. uh, in this kind of work from home, uh, distributed, decentralized working environment that most people are in right now. Mm -hmm. I, I think a lot of I don't know, legacy-based executives, kind of last generation leaders are, are struggling because they, they can't really communicate in the ways that they've become accustomed to, right? Mm -hmm. So this is forcing people way out of their comfort zone, especially at the senior level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of CEOs, for example, they'll hop on an analyst conference call once a quarter, they'll do the board meetings once a quarter, you know, they might do a few town halls, um, they might meet with their C team, but you know, they're, they're still somewhat sequestered, right? Mm -hmm. and, and this is pulling them out of the ivory tower and they're having to engage broader and deeper into the enterprise. They're having to engage other stakeholders outside of the enterprise in new mediums and modalities. And, you know, it's it's not easy for everybody everybody to do that. Yeah. So so what's required? I I, I was talking to a leader who I really admire. Um, his name was Ritsuo Shingo. He, his father was Shigeo Shingo. And uh, Shigeo was part of uh, the work with Taiichi Ono and the Toyota production system back in, uh, in the 40s, 50s, 60s. 
um, mm -hmm. and creating mm -hmm. the Toyota production system that we know today. And Ritsuo was a, a leader at Toyota. He was a president of Toyota China. And he would teach me, I'd walk through, you know, Japanese, the Toyota factories with him. And then we'd walk through U.S. factories here and, and healthcare and hospitals and systems. And he would walk me through and say, Max, son, if you don't have time to listen and go and see, you're missing everything. He said, if you're making all your decisions in just a meeting room, um, you're, you're making bad decisions. You have to be where the work is happening to understand what is happening. Wh what do you say to leaders today who simply don't have any time to get out there and see what's happening because they're just overwhelmed with the number of meetings they have to attend. Well, I, I think um, the don't have time thing, mm -hmm. they don't have time not to get out mm -hmm. and, and get around. I, I think, you know, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I, I think um, one of the things that leaders face today mm -hmm. is we've kind of bled thinking out of the day, right? You just move from task to task to task, meeting to meeting to meeting, email to email to email, yeah. text to, you know, it's just, it's a constant just moving from one place to another. And, and there isn't that time for creative thought, for deep, immersed engagement. And, and that's that's where you shine as a leader, when you can kind of be there, be present, be in the moment, have a real conversation with somebody, because I think that's the that's the big thing, right? You, yeah. you want to leave people feeling felt. You want to leave them better than you found them. You, you know, I, I mean, takeaways are nice, but leave behinds are important too, right? Yes. Yes. And, and you, I mean, I'm smiling as you say that because I think about how many of my, my own coaching clients who are very, very busy leaders um, reflect after our coaching sessions that just say, this is the only time I have to actually reflect. Yeah, I, uh, I actually started doing something quite a while ago, but I, I, I say I don't work on Monday. I, I actually think on Monday, <laughs> but I, I literally, um, you know, Mondays used to be the beginning of, of the hamster wheel, uh, um, I, I guess, endeavor, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so, uh, you know, I started to, uh, on Sunday, start to focus on Monday, which cheated myself out of my weekend and some of my family time. So what I do now is I enjoy my weekend, I, I come into the office on Monday, and I've got you know, my whole wall is a giant whiteboard. And I basically, you know, spend 14, 15 hours on Monday, just thinking, you know, I, I don't attend meetings, I, you know, I, I mean, I will from time to time, but you know, mostly, I won't take phone calls, I won't attend meetings, I just think. And, and that sets me up for a really highly productive remainder of the week because I, I'm kind of locked and loaded. I'm ready to go. You know, I, you know, I've, I've, I've had my time to kind of determine what I want that week to look like. And I think, you know, so many leaders, I mean, you know, they go meeting to meeting to meeting all day long and, and they actually, you know, have to, to get work done, they actually have to go home at night and, and let it take over, you know, their family time, their personal time. And that's, you know, that's just wrong. It's not sustainable. It's not healthy. So, you know, white space is key. And I, you know, I tell everybody that I can, if you don't program in some thought time um, during the week, you know, you're just not going to do your best work. You're just not. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Boy, I, I, I mean, I'm thinking about the listeners right now that say, wow, if I could have a whole day just to think. <laughs> um, it, you, know, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. Go ahead, please. Yeah, no, I was I, I was having this conversation um, with one of my teammates the other day, and she was like, "Well, yeah, but you're the chairman. You can you can do that. I can't do that." Mm-hmm. I said, "Why can't you do that?" She said, "I can do that." I said, "Yeah, you can do that." Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, I you get the best out of people when when you tap their creativity, right? You can't you can't tap their creativity when they're just, you know, involved in banging out tasks, yeah. you know, and it, it, it takes courage to be creative. Um, and, and it takes time. And, and it takes some discipline, right? I mean, creativity isn't this, I, I don't know, ethereal state that only a few people are born with, it's mm-hmm. developed, it's fostered, you know, being creative is it, it's a choice, it's a decision. Mm-hmm. But you have to allow yourself to be in an environment that fosters that. Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting too, because we, we need to make sure that that actually can happen for, for those around us. I was with a site leader who said, hey, that's exactly what we do on Friday afternoons. And this is a really big manufacturing facility, lots of pressure to you know produce. And, and the quality standards are high and it's a big defense contractor. And, um, and he said, so every Friday afternoon, everyone in the factory floor has two and a half hours on the afternoon to be able to just do things that they would like to do, whether it's to learn or to grow or to, you know, uh, clean something or do something with their teams. So I said, well, that's fantastic. Let me go walk the floor and just learn more about what that looks like for folks. And I I went out on the floor and just started asking folks, you know, hey, what does Friday afternoon look like for you? And they said, what do you mean? It it looks just like every other day. (laughs) 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 And I asked 50 to 60 people that same question, and I got basically the same response over and over and over again. And so for me, I was was curious. And so I went back to the site leader and just said, you know, my observation differs from what you think might be happening on the floor. I just was trying to check in and calibrate. And I wonder sometimes if some leaders, you know, just aren't aware of what's happening, even though they've espoused something, they just don't know, you know, that, that maybe there's more going on. I, I had another leader, well, I was in Latin America with this leader, and we were, we were in one of his factories with about 2,000 people on the floor. And when we came back off the floor after about an hour of walking together, just listening to frontline folks producing content and producing products, um, he came back and he said, man, I just learned more in that hour than I learned in most of my tier, you know, my tier four, tier five meetings. Yep, and I just yep. thought that was fascinating. Well, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think the topic of learning is always interesting as well, right? Yeah. And, and I think a lot of people have that destination mentality that they've arrived, right? They, they've they've gone to school, they've had their professional adult continuing education, they've, you know, they've risen to the top, and therefore, they're all knowing, all seeing, all being. And I, and I think that's a really dangerous thing. I mean, when you look at most professionals, they invest a truckload of time and money into education early in their career. Mm-hmm. But, but watch how many don't do that late in their career. And, and, and as, you, as you get deeper into your career life cycle, the stakes are much bigger. You have much more responsibility, much more authority, much more control, and yet you spend less time developing and learning. And, and you know, the best way to learn is not just to, I, 
I don't know, try and reinforce your own opinions. Mm-hmm. It's to, you know, test all your theses and, and invite others to test them and go learn about what others are doing and what yeah. their worldview is. And so, yeah, you're, you're spot on, Max. I mean, you know, the, the stories that you're citing about the, you know, manufacturing floor tours, there's nothing more valuable for a manufacturing executive to spend time on the floor, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And really listening, right? I mean, it's not just yeah. directing and telling, or it's not even an yeah. audit at this point. Really, it should be a go and see, a, a real obser- observation, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I love that. I love that. I mean, in that, and Ritsuo taught me that appreciation. He would, he would go up to folks, Mike, on on a floor, and we have a huge factory floor to tour or to visit, and he would just go to the first operator and just watch that operator for. 10, 15 minutes and just observe. I mean, he's not saying anything. He's just, he's just watching. And finally he would say, Max son, what have we done to make that job harder for that person to do? What have we done as leaders that makes that job harder to do? And so his first question wasn't, what are they doing wrong? It's what have we done that have created it or made it harder? And I just love that question. It was very, he just taught me so much about what good leaders can do. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is, you know, when we can create that space for people to reflect and to learn and to be able to then test the theories and the things that we've learned along the way, what a beautiful way to build a, a, better, a better leadership way of doing work. Yeah, I mean, I think what, what he's doing by asking that question is yeah. he's trying to understand um, dominant logic, right? He's yeah. trying to understand the institutional paradigms that people find themselves in and trying to figure out how to break out of that, to break out of the norm, to break out of the status quo. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a, a lot of what you find in organizations is that people do things solely for the reason that they've always done it that way, or that, you know, they, they adhere to practices and processes solely for the reason that they exist. You know, I I was giving somebody the example the other day. I said, Hey, look down at your keyboard. Mm -hmm. And and I said, you know, that QWERTY keyboard, that QWERTY keyboard came out when typewriters came out. Right. Mm -hmm. And, And the reason that that keyboard was manufactured the way it was is because back in the day, if you type too quickly, mm-hmm. you would get mechanical key blockage. It, it, the keys would stick. So the keyboard was actually designed to be inefficient, to slow people down. You know, the top line of the keyboard, if you look at it, you, you can see that you can spell out typewriter right on that top line. Mm-hmm. And that's so the traveling salesman could look like they were typing geniuses, right? It made it easy for them. But, you know, it's the keyboard that we're still using today. Hmm. And the only reason we're using it is because it exists. We, we become accustomed to it, not because it's the best, the most efficient. I mean, there, there's probably a thousand ways to invent a better keyboard, right? Hmm. Yet nobody's taken the time to do it. Hmm. Probably so hard to change that that established pattern and the what, what it's become. But I love this point. It's That's how... how I mean, how many leaders have you heard when you're coaching that have said, but this is the way, you know, I did it back in the day, or this is, this is the way we've always done it here. You don't understand our culture. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think people have learned not to say that, mm-hmm. or at least they try not to say that because they know there's going to be a lot of blowback. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them think it, yeah. you know, and, and it's really hard to dismantle 
something that you help to create. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when your paycheck or your ego is invested in that thing that needs to be disruptive, mm-hmm. you know, it's that's a tough road to hoe. And I, I think, um, you know, we, we spend a lot of time around here. I, you know, we're a you know, we're probably best known as a as an executive search firm. We do a lot of leadership development, a lot of coaching, and a lot of org design. But I think you know most people probably know us as an executive search firm. And you know it, it, it's interesting that you know our industry is probably a prime example of a legacy based industry. I, I mean, go, go talk to any search firm and, and, you know, talk to five of them, put five of them in a conference room, take away their collateral material. You can't tell the difference between them because they're all using the same pricing, the same teaming methodology, the same processes, the same procurement process. I mean, everything about how executive search is done, mm-hmm. you know, was done that way 50, 60, 70 years ago, a hundred years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we, I, I don't know, we got into the, the search business about 16 years ago, and we were invited in by our clients. We started out as a leadership development firm, and, and we kind of morphed into search, and, you know, because our clients weren't really happy, um, you know, with their vendors. And so we, we just do what we typically do is we asked a lot of questions, and then we did a lot of market research. And then we stepped back and we said, holy smokes, is this an industry, you know, ready for disruption? And so for the last 16 years, we come to work every day trying to reinvent the search experience. You know, we change the pricing, the teaming, the, the processes, I mean, the technology. And, and we're so far ahead of where most of our legacy based competitors are yet we're not resting on that. Right. We're in the process of, you know, retooling literally every day. And and I think if you don't have, if, if any business sits around and says, Hey, um, we're doing things, you know, the right way. I mean, they're dead and they don't even know it yet. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you, if you don't, take the time to self cannibalize, somebody else is going to eat you. Um, You know, if you eat yourself, you can live and play another day. If somebody else eats you, you know, there's no going forward from that point. So I think that's the, that's the big thing to work on. Boy. And, and I think that that's probably one of the common themes, regardless of where we go, because we're comfortable making money the way we've done it. And it's very hard to pivot. Like you said, when I'm being paid a certain way to put that at risk. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a that's a really, you know, it's a really difficult thing. And a lot of people struggle. I mean, there's that, you know, very tired example of, you know, the original list of the Fortune 500 and how most of those are extinct now. And, you know, you can pick your brand that, that disappeared, but they all disappeared for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. Their, their leadership became complacent. They became more interested in managing risk than managing opportunity. Mm -hmm. They became very comfortable within a narrow kind of a swim lane. And they they stopped reimagining. They stopped reinventing. They stopped innovating. They just started protecting the turf that they thought they owned. Uh, And it turns out that they didn't really own it at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And it's a blind spot for a lot of us. How do, yeah. how do people discover blind spots more effectively? What do you do to coach leaders who you found have a particular blind spot that they really need to figure out um, in order to be more successful? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, they're called blind spots for a reason. You can't see them. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, the only way that you're going to figure those out is, is to really go ask people, mm-hmm. you know, say, hey, you know, help me understand where my blind spots are. Help me understand where my knowledge gaps are. Help me understand where my communication gaps are. And then just shut up and listen, mm-hmm. right? And, and then, you know, because just because somebody says it, doesn't mean that you're going to hear it or understand it or do anything about it. I mean, you really have to take it in and wrestle with it um, because it's really easy to ask that question, have somebody say, have somebody give you an answer and then just dispute their answer or write off their answer as being Mm ill-informed when, you know, quite probably it was very accurate. And so you need to really wrestle that to the ground and then work on it, right? And I think that's what, you know, we're back to what we were talking about, you know, a few minutes ago, which is most people don't work on themselves nearly as much as they should. Mm -hmm. Boy, so when you talk to some of the successful CEOs out there, obviously learning is a big part of what they're doing. How, how, what are they learning? What do you think leaders should do right now to continue to improve? So we, you mentioned early on, you know, those who are taking care of their teams, really making it about them and not just themselves. What, what can leaders do today that say, man, I want to be better at this. I've heard this now, you know, Mike said some things here that I need to do differently. What would you say is next steps? You know, I, I, I would say, um, it's a really good thing to subject yourself to, to open, candid, sometimes harsh criticism, mm-hmm. um, seek out dissenting opinion, mm-hmm. you know, allow yourself to be challenged, seek out people that challenge your opinion. I mean, you know, we, we live in a world today where um, sometimes it's difficult to have candid conversations with people. Yeah. Um, but I think that's all the more reason why we need to do so. And, and I think, um, you know, seek out, uh, and surround yourselves with people that are strong enough to challenge you mm-hmm. and push you and stretch you because, again, that destination mentality is not a healthy thing. I mean, I, I've, I've always said it's very hard to have a growing enterprise mm-hmm. if the leadership isn't growing. You know, if leaders aren't developing themselves, they're going to have a very difficult time developing others. So, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, you have to eat your own cooking. Mm -hmm. But I I think, you know, that that's the big key is you just you have to. I mean, Max, I I look back, um, you know, I'm. I'm almost 60 years old and I'll be, be there in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I look back 10 years ago. So let's say when I was 50, right. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, by the time you're 50 years old, you're, you're supposed to have a pretty good knowledge base. You're supposed to have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. If I looked at the amount of things that I've learned from age 50 to 60, mm-hmm. it's mind numbing, mm-hmm. you know, and it dwarfs what I learned from 40 to 50 and 30 to 40 and 20 to 30, but you really have to embrace that you, you just you really have to look for it so i think today as an example um you know technology you know the old saying that every company's got to be a technology company to be to, to survive right it doesn't matter who you are you have to view yourself as a technology company number one i don't agree with that um but you know i i think a lot of people are over rotated on you know, AI or machine learning or natural language processing, kind of the cognitive um, next wave of technology because they think that's going to be the game changer. Mm -hmm. Well, look, 
technology is important. It's relevant. We're all on, you know, some part of our digital transformation journey. But, you know, most people that have been going through digital transformation have figured this out the hard way. They went through digital transformation and they went through the re-engineering of digital transformation. And now they're re-engineering the re-engineering of it Mm -hmm. because they failed to understand that it's not about the technology. You know, really successful technology companies have a strong culture. They have strong leadership. They have great talent. They drop that technology into a weld-oiled machine that uses it as an amplification um, tool or platform, right? But if you take the greatest technology in the world and drop it into a broken culture or, or an organization with subpar talent or bad leadership – that technology is just going to be a big wasted investment, right? And so I think what people are starting to figure out is consultants, um, you know, like to sell silver bullet solutions mm-hmm. and, and clients like shiny new objects. And, you know, the cycle just kind of repeats itself over and over again, right. you know, but, the, but they fail to get the people part, right. The culture part, right. The team part, right. Um, but, but if you get that part, right, everything else is easy. Yeah. You know, I, again, I, I'm, I'm nodding my head as I, as I listen, because that's exactly what I talk to my clients about all the time, you know, that, we can talk about all the processes and, and the great ideas and tons of money that we're investing in infrastructure, but if the team yeah. doesn't know how to enable that to make it meaningful and to make it sustainable, very, very difficult to, to succeed. Yeah, right? 100%. Then how many companies, like you said, have had really great ideas that could even create tremendous value for their customers, but really couldn't put it together because the team just didn't know how to put it together with that, with the dynamics that they had in that team. Yeah. You know, and, and it's interesting. I, I think, um, team, team is, I, I don't know. I, I think people don't spend enough time thinking about team, mm-hmm. um, because, but for the team, you don't have anything to lead, you know, but for the team, there are no products, but for the team, there are, you know, nothing really exists. And so all, all you really have is the team. And, and so if, if you're not spending every waking hour figuring out how to unlock hidden value within a team so that that team can then in turn unlock hidden value within your organization, you know, you're just, it's lost opportunity cost. Yeah. Uh, and so many people just assume, oh, that's my team. And, you know, okay, we got a little churn here and people kind of come and go and the team is there. And, okay, my, I, I've got my team. All, all is well and good. Mm-hmm. Eh, maybe not so much, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I agree. I agree. Thank you very much, Mike, for this conversation. I, I'm with you. There aren't any silver bullets in, in, in the reality of it. It's really about the right mix of people doing the right things anchored in a purpose that I think is bigger than themselves. Agreed. Agreed. Boy, it just, I wish consultants actually had to take an oath uh, like doctors do to do no harm. (laughs) (laughs) Some of them do. They just fail. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. No, you're right. Mike, anything you wish you could, um, you would have known earlier in your career, you mentioned, you know, that the steep learning curve and from 50 to 60, you learned just so much. 
what are some things in in retrospect that you wish you would have known earlier? And perhaps uh, give us a, a, a last piece of advice for those who are listening and saying, gosh, if I could be that way, or if I could do this, and you know, if I could be better, this is what I'd want to focus on uh, today. You know, um, great question. I, I, I think as I kind of process this a little bit, I, I'm probably like a lot of folks listening out there. I mean, I grew up as your basic type A Um, take no prisoners, make a cup of coffee nervous kind of a guy, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I look back on that, I I was that classic hero leader, like I would swoop in and save the day. And, you know, I mean, you know, it sounds great, um, but not the right way to lead. And, And I think what I learned over time is I just had to get out of my own way. So if I look back at, at my journey, I, I would say I would surrender earlier, um, you know, and, and take a smaller role and, and allow others to take a bigger role and, and just kind of let people be the brilliant people that I hired them to be, right? Mm-hmm. Not get in their way. And, and so I think, you know, it. maybe I'm just a slow learner. It took me a long time. <laughs> maybe others figured it out faster. But for me, that, that was my challenge. I, I had to stop rescuing people, stop doing for them, start teaching them how to do, and then letting them evolve the doing to a point where it would, would be far beyond what I could have ever done myself. You know, if I hired the right people because they're smarter than I am. They're more creative than I am. And I just got to stay out of their way, you know? Yeah. Well, it takes guts too, right? I mean, particularly when you have one way of solving things and you think that the, uh, the folks around you aren't solving it the way you would um, to be able to let them run with it for a bit and see what happens. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it it does. It takes courage to kind of, there's that old mentality that nobody will ever care as much as I care. Mm-hmm. Well, my job is to get them to care more than I care, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's, you know, that that's a, a shift in thinking, but it, but it's, it's an important one. Mike, I appreciate the conversation today. Thank you for joining me today on this podcast. I am, uh, I'm grateful that you'd, you know, take a few minutes of your day to be able to share some insights. Yeah, my pleasure, Max. I really appreciate it. Thanks to all our listeners out there listening to the Purpose and Principles podcast. Today, I'm with our guest, Mike Myatt, chairman at N2 Growth. Thanks again, Mike, and to all our listeners out there, be safe, be wise, and uh, let's go build better, better ways of leading. Take care, everybody.